Welcome to Reporter's Notebook. I'm Enrique Cerna. The Heroin and Opioid Addiction Task Force, created by Seattle Mayor Ed Murray and King County Executive Dow Constantine, has released its recommendations to combat the growing heroin and opioid epidemic in this region. It calls for a focus on prevention and access to treatment and open, safe places for medically supervised heroin use, which would be the first in the United States. Penny Legate is a member of the task force. In 2012, Penny lost her daughter, Mara Williams, to a heroin overdose. Mara was only 19. And Penny, thank you very much for joining us to uh, talk a bit about this. Um, I know that much of the focus is on this whole idea of these open spaces and uh, having these medically supervised uh opportunities or places for those who are, are using heroin. And that's going to be controversial, I, I take it, but also right. important uh, in trying to deal with this region. But what else was important that came out of these recommendations? Well, I think that people want to talk about the safe consumption sites, or we call them CHEL, which is the acronym that's being used, because they, they are, number one, are new to our country. They've been tried and proven in many other nations on the planet including a very successful site in Vancouver, B.C. So, you know, people here immediately react with fear and loathing. How could you possibly open places where people can use illegal drugs, you know, and not be prosecuted? So we can talk about those and what they actually are designed to do uh, in a minute. But, yes, this task force, uh, the scope of it was huge in terms of starting with prevention, treatment, and, um, and trying to deal with people who were on the streets using so it's, it's, it's large. This is one tiny part of the big picture. The treatment aspect of this, mm-hmm. I think, is, is huge yes. because the fact is, is the getting people into treatment, but also that is one of the biggest challenges. Right, it is. So one of the biggest problems, in, Enrique, is that a lot of people want treatment or access to medication-assisted treatment, which we can talk about exactly what that is, um, and, and either don't have the resources because they're on the street or they're jobless or, you know, they um, don't know where to start. It's a confusing quagmire, even for someone like me who's been a member of the media and, you know, can navigate pretty well. It was still a confusing quagmire of where do I turn, who do I talk to, what's the best place. So, yes, access to treatment. And many people who want treatment are on waiting lists. And it just doesn't work for a person who is on a, uh, you know, three grams a day heroin um, uh, maintenance um, use to be turned away. When they're ready to go and they're ready to get treatment, they have to be able to access the treatment on demand. So this is going to, it's also, I think, one of the most important parts of this task force recommendation. I know that in the frontline documentary, Chasing Heroin, that was uh, one of the stories where you had individuals that they were following mm-hmm. that were ready to get into treatment and then boom, yes. they, they, they would go to enter the treatment and then they couldn't get a bed. That's right. They can't get a bed. They can't get a doctor to prescribe Suboxone because they're limited. Um, they don't have the resources to, t- to pay for treatment um, or even to get a drug like buprenorphine or methadone. So, yeah, these hopefully are going to break down some of those and all barriers. those are the drugs that will help you as far as dealing yeah. with the Let's uh, just talk addiction. about, like, medication-assisted right. treatment. And, Enrique, I wish I'd known more about this when Mara, my daughter, was struggling because she talked about – so the three drugs that are commonly used to treat 
people with opioid use disorder. Our methadone, which has been around for 40 years, uh, which is a an opioid replacement. There's um, buprenorphine and Suboxone. And they have to be, methadone clinics, as we know, are heavily regulated by the federal government. Um, the buprenorphine is more... Um, readily available now. It's a a sort of new drug in the the fight. And uh, Suboxone as well has to be prescribed by a physician. There is a limit to how many prescriptions a physician can write in a year. The King County Task Force is asking to double that. And so that's one, one way that we're going to try to open that door. But what the way these work is that a person who is using heroin, um, who has a use disorder, we call it. Lots of people have tried heroin and, and not become addicted. Some people are on opioids for their pain, uh, whether they've had a surgery or uh, like one woman I know whose son became addicted because he had leukemia. He was given do- doses of morphine in the hospital to control his pain. Now he's a heroin addict on the streets. I mean, there are lots of ways to come to become a heroin have a heroin use disorder. I'm trying to stay away from words like addict and addicted and those kinds of things which are pejorative. So um, a person who develops a chronic use disorder that needs to have the drug to maintain how their life um, can be served so well with these drugs, methadone, buprenorphine, and suboxone, for example. And what it does is it stabilizes their lives. It stabilizes the up and down craving because a heroin uh, dose typically will last for about four hours, and then the person has to find another fix to feel normal again. Because if they go into withdrawal, they want to die, and a lot of people commit suicide in withdrawal. So it's serious. So they're trying to avoid that, right? That's why they just keep using and using and using and can't stop. Well, these drugs stabilize the cravings so that now they don't have that desperate need three times a day to keep finding their latest fix. They can start getting their life back. They're not consumed with the need to, you know, find a dealer. And all of a sudden they get their jobs back, their families come back, and uh, the cravings are, are satisfied. And now we know through hard science Enrique, that this is the gold standard for opioid use disorder. It's proven. And it's interesting uh, that, again, as, as we saw in the Frontline documentary, that um, it, it was easy to get prescriptions for opioids yeah. and very hard to get uh, prescriptions for, for these. Yeah, right. For Isn't that incredible that yeah, we limit yeah. how many Suboxone prescriptions can go out, and yet opioids are dispensed, you know, every day to, to people. I mean, we're the biggest country in the world that uses opioids. Let's move back to this idea of these, these open sites uh, or safe injection sites, mm-hmm. as they call them. Uh, I know that, that this has been going on in Vancouver, B.C. for quite mm-hmm. a while. Hasn't been happening here, mm-hmm. could be happening here for the very first time in the United States. What do you say to those folks that are, you know, very concerned right. about that? Right. I would say set aside your fear and loathing for a moment and look at the facts. And, you know, the idea of allowing people with addiction to come into a place and inject and, and welcome them to do that, I know, is anathema. And it's like I, their gut probably clenches thinking about such a thing. But let me tell you what they're really designed to do. They are designed to prevent overdose deaths. So people who are on the streets using in public who have no place to go but a back alley or a bathroom at Westlake Center or wherever it is, now can find a place where they are welcomed, where they're not 
spat upon, where they're not um, rolled over by um, law enforcement. And, you know, it's like, what is wrong with this person? Uh, So they have a place to go. And when they go, they have to bring their own drugs. They're not provided. Um, they, it could be a place for crack cocaine, et cetera, and other drugs. And so it's not just heroin, but that's our primary problem. So that's really what we're talking about. When they go, they have an opportunity to interface with services. So there's going to be a full-time nurse on hand to talk about medical issues. There are going to be clean needles so they don't continue to spread HIV or hep C and those type of, um, blood diseases. They are given opportunities to meet with social workers who can counsel them on their use. Do you want to try and cut it down? Would you be interested in trying to try Suboxone, et cetera? So it will meet people where they are in a very humane and compassionate way. And so we won't have kids and people dying on the streets alone in a bathroom. So the approach really here is to get away from that criminalization Exactly. But to deal with this in a medically supervised way that also provides help and assistance. Exactly. And they have been, no one has ever overdosed anywhere in the world in one of these places. Uh, They have a proven track record of reducing crime and reducing um, the threat to the public health because the needles aren't on the ground thrown around in alleys and public spaces and in parks. And in fact, they say in some of these places, the only people who are in the parks instead of the people overdosing are the dealers trying to find someone to sell it to because the people who are using are in a safe place. Now, where might these places be located? I don't know yet. And then that's yet to be decided. But, you know, clearly it's going to take a lot of um, open minds and open hearts to to, and I think, and then time will tell. It's right. This will be a pilot program, right? We're going to look at this and see how it works. Is it is it effective? Does it work in our community? And I think that we'll be really surprised by, by the results that we see. You were a part of this um, uh, task force. I know that this is something that is uh, near and dear to your heart because of the loss of your daughter. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you were going through this process... What was it that you wanted more than anything else? I think more than anything, I really want people at large, people who might be listening right now, to understand that the people who are struggling with heroin addiction are not immoral people. They're not weak people. They're not worthless people. These are people that are perhaps working alongside you. These are people who might be educated. These are people who come from all kinds of walks of life, Um, people who've suffered trauma, people who've not, people who have um, demons to deal with, like like depression and anxiety and ADHD, et cetera, like my daughter. And they they become... um, involved in their their use through various methods and various pathways. So what I want people to understand is that this is a medical condition. And I know people say, oh, you call it a disease to just, you know, get them off the hook for making these choices. But it really is a public health crisis. It affects everybody. And it's going to be really hard to find anyone listening who hasn't been affected by it. So please, 
understand people. We're dealing with people who are ill and need to be treated. You know, would we call young kids who have diabetes, for example, worthless and weak because they have a chronic illness? Would we put up barriers to them getting medications they they need and the compassion and counseling they need to get better? Would we do such a thing? Or someone that has cancer. Or someone who has cancer, exactly, or any kind of ailment. That's what they have. They have an ailment, they have a brain disorder, and they need to be treated as such. So awareness and trying to uh, put that focus on treatment is really at the heart of what this is all about. Yeah, absolutely. And we're also going to start talking about prevention, too, in schools and a way to screen people at an earlier age. And this is where a lot of my passions lie because, yeah, we can continue to treat people who who come to use opioids and, and in a very unhealthy way. But that doesn't solve the problem of why we get there, right? I mean, part of it is going to be secure lock boxes, you know, at pharmacies where people can dump their narcotics. Um, there's going to be uh, education in the medical community about the f- prescribing of opioids. Let's try to use less of them. Let's, let's opt for other drugs. One kid came up to me at a high school talk I was giving and said, I'm so glad you came because he said, I had my wisdom teeth taken out and I was given OxyContin. Mm. And I finished that prescription, 25, 30 pills, and man, I wanted more. And I convinced everybody I needed it. And I got it some more. And he says, I was hooked. Next thing I know, I was on the street trying to buy heroin. So let's try and look at alternatives to opioids for some pain you know, situations. Clearly, they have a role to play. But we need to not give them in these giant blanket prescriptions and just without monitoring uh, who they who they're given to and how many times they're filled. So there's a responsibility in the medical community as well as, as far as prevention. Do you think that what is happening here has that opportunity to to become a a, a model for what could be done elsewhere Absolutely. in the country? Absolutely. You know what? I just Seattle has always been a progressive city. Um, and I think we are a city of compassionate generous people. I have seen this through all the years of the different fundraisers I've emceed. You do the same thing, Enrique. You see this over and over again, how people step up. And I really believe that I'm so proud of Seattle that we might be the first place in North, in outside just of Vancouver in North America, in the United States, to try a safe consumption site. Uh, that we are going to be on the cutting edge in terms of how we provide treatment on demand and compassion around these issues and make treatment available to people and, and to get rid of the stigma and the judgment. I think our city is capable of that. Is that the, at the heart of what these recommendations are all about? Always, you know, always. If we see it as a medical condition, where is the judgment? Where is the stigma? Where, why is there any barrier, right? Let's say that it, we, we had Zika virus at this level of epidemic. Do you think we'd be all be going, oh, I don't know. I don't think this is a good idea. Mm-hmm. I don't think, you know, this is, these people really, you know, created their own problems. Why should we give a darn? Yeah. It's, it's, they just need to understand what it is. One of the things that you did uh, after your daughter passed away and dealing with your own grief and everything else is to create the, the Mara Project. Tell mm-hmm. me a bit about that and yeah. how that's going. Yeah. So we're going stronger than ever, Enrique. It's amazing that, you know, this with a, we started with a little bit of memorial money after she passed away. And I thought, you know, I'm going to go to Africa because I love Africa and I'm going to open up a water well in Uganda and put her name on it and call it done. But as the uh, epidemic continued to spiral out of control, um, even in the four years since she's passed away, I felt really compelled in my heart 
and maybe her urging as well, to continue to fight for people who struggle with addiction. So the Mara Project, the most recent thing that we've done is to equip 70 police vice officers in Seattle with Narcan, and that's the drug that can instantly reverse an overdose if given in time. It's a nasal spray kit. We bought 70 of them for a bike, bike officers through the core of downtown Seattle and the U District. And since we started in mid-March, we have had 11 overdose reversals, 11 people who've lived to see another day. So her spirit goes on. Oh, Big time. She's not letting me rest. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that. Yeah. Penny Legate, thank you so much for uh, taking uh, the time to come in and talk about uh, what this task force is hoping to accomplish and these recommendations. We'll have to see how this uh, the uh, Open Safe Places works and the pilot project. And uh, it's going to be fascinating to see how uh, things move forward and whether it'll have uh, the impact that we want it to have yes. about the heroin epidemic here. And this has been Reporter's Notebook. I'm Enrique Cerna. We'll talk more next time.